There is a little book I am loving lately called In the Shelter, and it's by the poet Padraig Otuma. It's autobiographical and interspersed in his own stories. There are these beautiful little bits of poems. And in that book, he writes, my favorite poem from David Wagner is Lost. And it goes like this. Stand still. The trees ahead and bushes beside you are not lost. Wherever you are is called here. And you must treat it as a powerful stranger. Otuma continues, the truth of this poem is an old truth. There are places you wish to go. There are places you wish desperately you had never left. And then there is the place called here. In the world of Wagoner's poem, it is the rooted things, the trees and bushes that tell the truth to the person who is lost. The person with legs and fear who wishes to be elsewhere. The person must stand still, feel their body still on the ground if they are to learn this wisdom. He says, this is not an easy wisdom. It is a frightening wisdom. In Irish, there is a phrase, for fear of fear. It's true that there are some things that we fear, but that there is even deeper a fear of fear. So we're prevented from being here not only by being frightened of certain places and things, but also by the fear of being frightened by certain places and things. So stand still, the poet advises. Learn from the things that are already in the place you wish you were not. In some ways, it's easy to say this here and now, here in this beautiful space, reverberating still with all this beautiful music, surrounded by these carvings, all of us scrubbed up and Sundayified. <laughs> We've entered into this curated experience of beauty and truth and connection. So in some ways, it's a bit easier to say, stand still, be here now, breathe deep this moment and this experience. But this teaching is true. Of course, this wisdom is true, especially in harder times. And this skill, this practice of presence and equanimity can make all the difference. In her book, Pay attention for goodness sake. Buddhist teacher Sylvia Borstein tells this story. She says a delegation of 26 Western Buddhist teachers traveled to Dharamsala in 1995 for a week of meetings. 
that included three whole days with the Dalai Lama at his palace residence. Three people who weren't Buddhist teachers, two video engineers, and one journalist accompanied us. She says the three outsiders were introduced to the group and it was agreed that they could stay in the room, be there for the whole time, but that they wouldn't enter into the discussions. But on the last day, as all of the teachers were closing the meeting by mentioning what had for them been the most meaningful moments, we asked the video engineers and the journalists for their impressions. And the journalist paused and said, no one complained. <laughs> Borstein says, you know, he was right. I hadn't thought about it before, but when he said that, I thought back to the many inconveniences of the whole week, not even including the tremendous effort it took to get to Dharamsala with long flights, overnight train rides, bumpy, hair-raisingly dangerous taxi rides. And I realized no one, not one person complained. I particularly recalled this scene where we were walking back from the Dalai Lama's palace to our hotel for a midday meal in driving rain with water sluicing down the hillside. I was sharing an umbrella with the senior most nun at a monastery, both of us in sandals, sloshing around in mud up to our ankles. She trying to keep her robe out of the water. No one complained, not about that, or the food, or the schedule changes, or the intense security searches. She said, I felt buoyed by the journalist's comment as if we had all gotten a report card on the Bodhidharma. <laughs> we had gotten A's. But the specific exam question would have been, what is the second noble truth? What did the Buddha say was the root of suffering? We were all, by not complaining, demonstrating that we knew that suffering is caused by the mind demanding things be different from how they are. And we were all demonstrating this third noble truth that the end of suffering is possible, that when we are faced with challenge, we have two options, acceptance or resistance. Acceptance is freedom. Resistance is suffering. Freedom is possible. Not only possible, but freedom is coming. If we can be here, right here, ankle deep in the mud, holding our grandchild for the first time, elated beyond words, right there with the crushing weight of sadness at an unfathomable diagnosis, and perhaps we might not get to the point of not complaining but we can start with this cultivation, equanimity, presence with what we can feel here and now. A teacher of mine, the, my first meditation teacher, called it equanimous mind. It was the first extended silent retreat I sat, and I still remember in my bones the gravelly sound of his voice as he said, equanimous mind. 
And I sat there with my ricocheting 19-year-old mind. I sat there rooted, quiet, surrounded by community, and something started. Of course, equanimity for the 20-year-old me was a different thing. I had the freedom of taking four yoga classes a week with the only pressures and expectations on me being school and some very part-time jobs. The cultivation of equanimity presents very different challenges to me now. As a parent, as a husband, especially as a parent. Brene Brown The teacher and speaker and writer speaks beautifully of this challenge in many of her works, but especially recently this interview with Dan Harris where she told this story of realizing she had missed a flight to go and be a fancy presenter at a big conference. She knew she needed to rush to the airport, and she was panicked because usually When she left town, she cooked food for the family to eat while she was gone. She labeled everything by the specific meal and day. Usually, she also laid out outfits for her daughter in her closet with everything labeled for the specific day. And so she was panicked knowing that she wouldn't be able to cook or lay out the clothes before she left. And her longtime husband smiled and said, I don't mean to kick you while you're down, but we don't eat any of that food. (laughs) We eat mostly pizza, and I let the kids pick out their own clothes while you're away. (laughs) And she realized then, and in the months and years to come, a powerful lesson. Her fear was driving her to control every last detail to hold on so tight that every variable was accounted for and pre-planned over, and the stress was crushing her and stifling those she loved. So what emerged and what she teaches is the ability, especially as parents, to resist the urge to fix and control She says when her kids are in a hard place, dealing with big feelings or big questions, she says, I can't fix it, but I can sit here with you in the dark. She says it's as if they're in a dark room and sometimes the urge is to rush and flip the light switch and take the darkness away, but sometimes the lesson for them is about how to be in the dark. And so resisting this urge to make it go away, resisting this urge to make it all better, can't fix it. But I can sit here in the dark with you. I was in the dark a few years ago when I heard a rustling and a scratching. We were camping. The whole family up at Lake Umbagog It was a beautiful summer night. We were in two tents, asleep, when I heard the rustling. 
We had camped here in the same area for many years with almost no animal visitors. Chipmunks and the squirrels in the day, lots of loons, some magical moments with bald eagles, but almost never any nighttime scavengers, certainly nothing loud enough to wake us up. But here we were, and it happened to be one of the first times that my wife, Lauren, had joined us for many nights. It was her first night. I decided that I needed to investigate, and so I got up, slowly left the tent, the zipper seeming like the loudest noise in the entire world. My mind was racing with all the proper beast-in-the-woods encounter protocols. We hadn't seen bears, but I knew there were bears around. The sound was too small for a bear, though, too small for a moose, too small for almost anything. I took a deep breath, and I turned on my light, and I saw a dark shape with bright white stripes on the back. It was a skunk. In many years of camping on this lake, we had never encountered a skunk we were in the middle of camp, in the middle of the night, and all I could think was that I didn't want to frighten it because a spray would have meant the end of the entire trip. But I wanted it to leave so desperately. It froze, turned around, and looked at me. I didn't want to surprise it and didn't want to scare it, so I breathed deep. I could feel the cool night air around me, so beautiful, smelling, and devoid of skunk spray. <laughs> and I slowly took a step forward. I assumed I wanted to convince it with my calm, non-anxious presence that it wanted to be elsewhere. But in a kind of casual, come to the decision on your own with no sense of threat or fear kind of way, and I took another step. And I got closer, and it spun abruptly. And I froze. And I breathed deep again, surrounded by that space and those trees. I took another step. And the skunk disappeared into the darkness. The poet said, stand still. The trees ahead and bushes behind you are not lost. Wherever you are is called here, and you must treat it as a powerful stranger. We are so often ankle deep in the monsoon rains, facing uncertain skunks in the dark as those we care for so deeply sob in pain. How challenging to just be there, to take in the deepening breath, to center down, but we can, and we do. In the midst of all of the traffic of our minds, the swirling mix of fears and pressures, here in the midst of it all, we choose spaciousness. We choose to call forward from our depths the resounding yes, and in that choice we are free. We are free here this day to be in this dark and not rush to change it or fix it, but to see what this darkness can teach us. 
We are free here this day to refresh our spirits and bring the spring of the eternal back into our step. And so we give thanks for this darkness and these skunks and these rains and flights and taxi rides for these trees, for this equanimity, for this freedom. Amen.